today, Pastor Gary is going to come and share with us from the book of Acts. And like I said, we have a deep well of great resource, and uh, Dr. Gary House is one of those who is a man of God. And I don't know if you know this, but that Gary uh, was a pastor, both a senior pastor, associate pastor, led in all kinds of different things for decades of his life. We are so, man, we're so blessed to have he and his wife, Kathy, as part of our church family. So would you welcome Dr. Gary House? Thank you. Thank you very much. If somebody would be so kind as to lend me your cane, I feel like I need it now. I feel older yeah, after decades of ministry. <laughs> I want to take a moment and uh, honor two people. You know, in life, it's interesting to me, I've had the privilege to serve and help oversee and officiate um, some around 400 funeral services, memorial services, celebrations of life, whatever you'd like to call them. And it's fascinating to me that usually we reserve the opportunity to celebrate people after they die. And, you know, it's fascinating to me that that's when you do, and maybe as a, some of you and as Kathy and I did yesterday that uh, we were watching uh, Dr. Jack Haford and his uh, celebration of life service that they, they did, and it was grand and glorious and wonderful. But as I reflected on the things there, having worked with the man very directly uh, for a number of years and listening to him, he didn't read his fan mail. He really didn't. In other words, he didn't listen to what everybody was saying about how grand he was, how great he was, what he did, what he accomplished, and all those things. He just didn't read it. And uh, it didn't mean that much to him. It was what Jesus needed to do and wanted to do now in his life that became important to him. And I, I watched that in his life, and as he lived that out, um, it was fascinating to me. We would uh, sometimes, because of a small group of people, production people and others that I was a part of uh, on our Saturday night services, that we would come together afterwards in the side room, and one of the first things Pastor Jack would be saying is, so how did it come across? How was it? Where do I need to improve? Where do I need to do better in? Can I communicate it differently? Did, it, did the message really get through? You know, and I'm standing there one of the first times I heard him doing this, and I'm thinking, you're Jack, Pastor Jack. Why would you ask this kind of question? <laughs> you know, but that was his heart. That was his heart. And I say all of that as a preface to what I want to say. And that is to take a moment to honor our pastors. It's not, hold on, hold on. I'll give you a chance to clap. It's not their birthdays. It's not Pastors Appreciation Month, which, by the way, is in October. There's no real reason to say this other than faithful people that love you and me and pray for us and seek to lay down their lives on her behalf before God Almighty. 
to say, Lord, help us to help them be their people. And I just want to honor you. Now you can join with me. Thank you. at least you got a kiss out of it. That's good. That's pretty good. The second man I want to honor is the focus of what we're going to look at today. And we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 9. And as you've perhaps walked with us through this last week and the varieties of people, circumstances, events, moments, man, there's a bunch of stuff from starting in chapter 7 where you've got Stephen that he delivers this powerful review of the Old Testament in summary and and then uh, the result of that is he gets stoned and and not out of his mind by real rocks. Okay, that kind of stoning as well. And uh, lost his life out of it. Chapter 8 comes along and we begin to see the whole outplay of what God begins to do in Samaria. And it's like the Lord just says, okay, time to get out of town and get to where I told you. Remember, it was Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. And they quite haven't got to the end yet. And so God helps them. And uh, Philip goes over to Samaria, and God just pours out stuff. And marvelous things take place. And the Lord begins to reveal again who he is in his heart and his plan. But in chapter 9... We come in here, and we see an interesting introduction first that uh, it talks about this guy, Saul. Now, Saul, we see already in chapter uh, 7, the end of chapter 7, we see him there. He's the guy that's standing by while everybody else is throwing stones at Stephen, and he's standing by, and the scripture simply says, they laid their coats at his feet. What that was, was simply saying, this guy is a person of authority and position, and he is giving his okay for us to do what we're doing. That's what that was saying. And he stood there. And that's all we hear about him at that moment. And then we skip over to this chapter, and we begin to find that again he is coming along, and he's gone to the the high priest in Jerusalem and said, I need some letters of introduction and direction that I could pass on to the leadership in Damascus. And so he gave the letter, got the letters, he's on his way, and as you've read the story, he gets knocked off his horse, literally, (laughs) by a blinding light of God. God knows how to get our attention, by the way. You know, you you don't have to, by the way, let me just give you a little insight with God. You don't have to tell God how to do things. I'll leave it at that, okay? Because <laughs> he's really good. He's pretty, he's got a pretty good brain, okay? He's pretty smart. And sometimes we try to tell God in our prayers, now God do this and do this and, oh man, I hadn't thought about that before. That's a great suggestion of what you gave me there in your prayers. But Paul, or Saul, excuse me, is knocked off his horse, 
he comes down and he's blind and they lead him into Damascus. Now that's where we pick it up in verse 8. And it says that Paul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind, catch this, blind for three days and did not eat or drink. So he's fasting, okay, by, whether by choice or just the circumstance or the moment. You know, you get into those moments where maybe you're ill or something like that. You're like, I don't want to even eat. Whatever the reason was at the moment, he wasn't eating and he's blind. And then we pick it up in the following verse, and it says in verse 10, Now there was a believer. Interesting word. Believer, some say disciple. Your, your translation might bring that out as such. But he goes in there, and he is in Damascus, and the man's name is Ananias. And the Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. Seems to imply by the scripture here that this was not an unusual thing for God to do with Ananias. It was like the other occasions and moments where the Lord had spoke to him. And so it wasn't something totally out of blue like, whoa, who's talking to me? You know, what's, what's going on? He understood and he responded accordingly to say, here I am, Lord. The Lord goes on and he says in verse 11, Go over to Straight Street, to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. Is God specific or not? Go here talk to this person, or go to this person's house, talk to this person, look for this man, and here's what's going on with this man right now. Is God in the know or not? Can I suggest to you and me that sometimes we need to act like he's in the know with us? God, you know what's going on in my life, and I'm just turning to you. Help me. Help me, Lord. He goes on, and... Fascinating next verse. You've likely already read it. Verse 13. But, Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priests to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. Verse 15. But the Lord said, see the two buts here? Ananias' butt, and that isn't B-U-T-T, by the way. <laughs> and he gives his butt, but God comes along and says, but Ananias. Yeah. Listen when God begins to interrupt you. I'm throwing these things in for free. They're not in the notes. And I'll just throw it out there with you. But listen to God when he begins to interrupt you. And close your mouth and listen. Because more than likely, God already knows, not more than likely, he knows everything into the future already. And he knows what I'm going to say because he already knows what I thought and how I'm going to respond. So it's best just to zip it and listen. Okay, God, what do you have to say? 
allow him to speak into your life. Well, he goes on. God speaks to him. And he says, go. <laughs> that could have been enough. But he goes on to explain, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to the kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went, found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up, was baptized, which means he's baptized in water. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. Father, we just open our hearts up to you and ask that you speak from your word. Lord, your ability to speak to us is far greater than I can ever communicate. So Holy Spirit, I invite you. You talk to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Ananias is an interesting man because it's the only place we have recorded about him other than in chapter 22 of Acts, I'm giving you a preface here, uh, where it will, he will be referenced by Paul about Paul's experience of meeting Christ and that story of it. But this is the only time we have him talked about on site in the moment in what's going on about him. But you might say, yeah, but, yeah, but Gary, what about the other Ananiases? Say that ten times, by the way. And, uh, you know, in Acts, well, there's three. We already discovered about Ananias and his wife, Sapphira, in chapter 5. And uh, if you didn't read that part, you should. And if you read that part, you know what happened. So um, we'll leave it at that. And then we have him. Yeah, they're no longer with us <laughs> or anyone else. And, uh, of course, if any of them were still with us, uh, that would be amazing. But anyway... And then the third one is in chapter 22 and 23, and he is the high priest uh, of the Jewish high priest at the time, and his name is Ananias. He brought charges against Paul to try to get rid of this guy and shut him up and get him out of the way. Well, we come back to this man of Ananias today and look at him for a moment and discover a few things with me. His name, interestingly, means... God has been gracious. God has been gracious or graciously given by God. So there's interesting uh, thought in the names. By the way, another thing to throw in for you and all, names mean a lot to God. They really do. And it's an interesting thing of understanding the value of what is spoken by a name and how you begin to propagate that out. And uh, that's a teaching in itself, and uh, I won't go there this morning. But it's a very valuable and important thing. So as I was looking through here and looking at these five chapters and looking them over, uh, Pastor Tim had suggested to me, he said, you know, uh, you might think about Ananias. And I thought, okay, I'll think about it. And... <laughs> And, uh, but when I begin to read it and all, it's like the Lord just said, oh, let me show you about 20 things out of the story. I thought, oh, good. That'll take us all the way till uh, the evening time or something like that at least, you know, to cover that much. No, I'm kidding. Sort of. 
But I narrowed it down to seven key points I want to quickly just cover with you. And they won't take long because you, you've already read it and you're there and you'll catch it with me as we walk through it together. Number one is in verse 11. I love the fact that the Bible shows us that God is the ultimate multitasker. He always multitasks. What's he doing? He's dealing with Saul at the time, knocks him off his horse, talking to him and directing him as to where it goes next. He's blinding him in the moment, and uh, now he's going on. At the same time, he's dealing with this guy, Ananias, over here in Damascus and saying, Ananias, we need to talk because I got a job for you to do. God is that kind of person. That's why sometimes we look at our lives in a very narrow fashion because that's our limitation. Our limitation of not knowing everything, not being able to see everything, understand everything. But God is a God that comes along and says he's always doing a multitasking operation. I mean, just realize that you could easily see it. Each one of us here this morning are praising the Lord and worshiping God. God isn't focusing in on one person. He's listening to all of us declare our praises and glory and honor of the living God. He's hearing all of us at the same time. I can hear the sounds, but I can't make the distinction over one and another. But God does. And he hears the expression of that out of our hearts coming forth before him. Because that's what he does. See? He does things in multiples ways which is apart from what you and I do. So that's why sometimes when we're praying about things and we're bringing this before God and, and why I said earlier, we don't have to tell God always how to do things because likely he has a better way than we do anyway. I'm not, try, I'm, I'm not trying to rebuke or correct anyone. I'm just simply laying that out to you. He, if he's God, he knows how to do stuff. He keeps me breathing, and I think you're breathing because of the same reason. And all if he can do it for all of us at the same time, I think he can handle how to answer my prayer and meet the need in front of me. And likely more creatively than I could ever tell him how he should do it. So he's very multitasking. In, uh, in verse 12, it's a fascinating thing to me that blind people see visions. Blind people see visions. And you say, well, yeah, that, that would make sense, Gary. I, I get that. But the point I want you to catch out of it is that God knows how to get through to us. Whether we get struck off our horse, as it were, whether we're in a situation and God is grabbing our attention one way or another way, he knows how to get our attention and focus us so that we begin to focus toward him. That's his purpose. And get us on our attention on who he is and what he does. And while we might say, well, Gary, I'm not really physically blind, but sometimes we can be blind in our heart, blind in our thinking, or at least narrow in our thinking, not able to see things in a broader way. And God sometimes wants to come along and say, God, Gary, I just want to explode and blow your head off. Not literally, by the way. 
But I just want to, you know, here we go. And the Lord comes along and says, I want to do that because I'm God. And it's like the Lord sometimes comes along and wants to, not physically, but as we're, take me and shake me, say, remember, Gary, I'm God. You know, and I'm, uh, okay, got it. Okay, got it. But what he's trying to do is say, wake up and look at what I'm doing. Not all the other stuff that's swirling around you right now. Look at who I am and what I'm doing. How many times I've said, Lord, I'm blind to that. I don't see it. I don't understand it. God, help me. Help me get the scales off my eyes so I can see you in the midst of where I'm at right now. Because he's there. He's there. In verse 11, also in verse 15, another thing we need to consider is, I, I saw in this, was to learn to obey imperatives. Okay. Now, if imperatives is, is uh, a word that uh, translates you back to grade school or junior high school, yeah, you're right. An imperative sentence is a fact that uh, you could always know it because you can put, you have a verb, and you can always put a you in front of it. And so it's you, go. That's an imperative statement. And here, Ananias is being given an imperative statement. Go and do this. Not just once, twice. Because he didn't get it the first time. We'll see why in a moment. And he got told second time. Have you ever had those occasions where God comes along and he has to say it twice, maybe three times for some of us, uh, many more times sometimes, where you finally get it, say, I'm really talking to you, Gary, hello, and it's kind of like, you know, you're just not getting it fully, but he's patient. He's patient enough with us because his desire is, I really want to work through you. And I'm patient to wait until you're ready to respond. Wow. Wow. That God would be that patient with us. At the same time, the devil's come along and say, yeah, if you were a good Christian, you would have answered the Lord the first time, and all, not all these times like this. You know, and we hear that little voice going on, and all, how bad of a Christian we are because we're not as responsive as, as Pastor Tim is. Pastor Tim always answers the Lord, always says what God, exactly when he says to do it. You, know. you can confirm that later. Uh, but, you know, we, we compare ourselves with other people. And God says, I'm not comparing you with anybody. I want a relationship with you. I want my relationship with you, not based on what anybody else does or doesn't do. I want my relationship with you because I want to pour my life through you into the hearts and lives of other people. So God is patient with Ananias. Tells him a second time. The fourth thing that I see in here is learn to judge what you hear. In verse 13, Ananias turns back to the Lord and he says, But Lord, I've heard many people talk on social media. 
It's all out there, Lord. It's in the Jerusalem Post. You know, the newspaper has it. Here's what this guy does. Be careful what you listen to. What's God saying to you? Listen to what he's saying. And sometimes you have to ask him to filter with you what you're hearing. For me, often what I do is taken out of John chapter 16, where it says the Holy Spirit will come and reveal truth to you. So I will often pray and say, Holy Spirit, you're sent to do this. I'm going to invite you right now to help me discern between truth and error or falsehood. God, I want to know what's truth about this situation right now, and I want to hear from you. Listen, I, I'm not downplaying other people and good godly people, Christian people. I'm not saying you should never talk to anybody about what you're walking through, but in the final analysis, bring all of those things that you've gathered from everybody else and present them at the foot of Jesus Christ and say, Jesus, I need to know what you say about this. I didn't know what you say about it. Because if Ananias would have went on only what he'd heard, he never would have gone. Say, well, what, God would, what would God do with all of that? He would have had somebody else. But let me submit to you that God knew Ananias. He knew he was going to put a butt. And he knew that Ananias would talk about what he'd heard other people say. God knew all of that. But he also knew that when Ananias understood God's heart in the situation, he would be obedient and he'd carry out what he was asked to do. He'd obey the imperative and see what he would do. So let me encourage you, be careful about what you're listening to other people to, or I got well, I, I, I need to call my other 10 friends. Number five, I could say a lot more on that one, I won't. Number five, chosen instruments. Chosen instruments. Verse 15, the Lord speaks to Ananias and he says, Go for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to the kings as well as to the people of Israel. Now, allow me for a moment to interject myself in with Ananias. And if I hear that coming, being shared with me by the Lord, the question that arises in my head is, this guy kills the very people you're saying he's going to go talk to. What? Is this really a good plan, God? Is this really going to work? And I could see Ananias going over in his head about this. Now, he was smart enough to keep his mouth shut. And I want to submit to you, you know, you're not a bad Christian because you have a second thought about something perhaps God is saying to you. What he's looking for is a willingness on your part that when he says go, you go in spite of what's going on up here. Okay? That's what he's looking for. 
And he's looking to anticipate the people that will be obedient enough to trust him, even as they're walking forward in something they're unsure about. Right, Dennis? And you walk into life and you walk into circumstances of life and God directs you and says, I want you to go here, I want you to do this or that. And we say, but, 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 but Lord, oh, God. You know, Kathy was pointing out something to me because of, uh, besides the 260 reading, we're, we have other readings that we're doing too, but she pointed out something that was interesting the other day to me. She said, remember about Moses the scripture says, particularly, and this is part of an Acts, that he was educated in Egypt. He had his PhD there, or whatever he got, you know, from there. And the scripture uses the phrase and statement says, he was articulate in speech. How does a man like that get 40 years later and is now standing in front of a burning bush and he say, but, 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 I don't know what I would say. I need, I need some help to talk. How does that happen? And why does God, knowing that that's where he would be, still select him to be his mouthpiece to speak to his people? Message for you and me, don't disqualify yourself when God says you're qualified. Because he will qualify you in any shortcoming you have and provide a way for you to communicate his word to other people. Yes. Chosen instruments. Why did God choose Saul? He's zealous. He's very articulate. He had an education. He was bold. He was almost larger than life, though from what we understand of him, he was kind of shorter in stature. But People saw him coming down the road. It's like, get out of the way. That's Saul, man. Don't get in his way. Kind of person. It's interesting what 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7 says. When Samuel was looking at the sons of Jesse, and he's mentally or maybe even out loud saying, well, this one's really good looking. I mean, he's sharp. I mean, he's, he's king material. He really is. And God's kept saying, nope, 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 nope. Finally gets down to the last son. And Samuel has to question himself now. Did God really send me to the family of Jesse? Well, Jesse, do you have any more kids? Any more sons? Well, yeah. Yeah, the runt's out here. He's taking it to the sheep. His name's David. Well, go get him. We're not going to do anything else till he gets here. And as David comes in, the Lord speaks to Samuel and says, that's the man. The interesting thing in verse 17, of, excuse me, verse 7 of chapter 16 of verse Samuel says, don't judge by his appearance or height. For I rejected him, in other words, some of the other sons of Jesse. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. Boy, that's so good for us to remember. Man, I have to remind myself so much of that. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So when God says to you, go, do, pray for, minister to, 
Share the, the gospel with this person. Say hi to them. Be complimentary of them. Be, speak kindly to them. And you and I simply, well, uh, God, it's not the right setting, God. It's not the right time. It's not the right moment. God says, go. Go. See, we need to understand that if God is telling us to go, he is not only working in me, but he's already preparing the way in whoever else I'm going to. Remember, the first thing was he's a multitasker. Okay? So if he's working in me, he's working in the other circumstances too. He's already worked ahead of me. We don't have to ask God to catch up. We're the ones that have to catch up always. He's already there. <clears throat> and number six, last two here very quickly with you. Get ready for change. Get ready for change. Verse 17, Ananias walks into the house where Saul is and catch what he says here. He lays hands on him and he says, what's the next two words? Brother Saul. Same guy, same person, same thinking. That isn't what you said before. Why are you saying that now? What happened to Ananias? On however far it was between his home and where he went to see Saul, something changed in his heart. So they come along and they lay hands on this man and say, Brother Saul. Because see, all he could see before was a guy that was ready to kill everybody that called themselves by Christ's name. Now he comes in and he lays hands upon a man and says, Brother Saul. Question for us. How do we see things? from the way God sees things. What prejudices do we have that stop us from stepping in to be able to say, as it were, a brother saw, lay hands on them and minister to them? What hinders us in our own lives? He was changed. He was changed. Of course, Saul has changed, obviously. In the situation, hands are laid upon him. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I know this is for those of you that are, that are purists, that this is out of order of the way you're supposed to do it. You have to get saved, then you get baptized in water, and then you get filled with the Holy Spirit, and then you can get healed. But we're talking about God. So if you want to complain to him, go ahead. Tell me how that works for you. But God comes along, takes this man, he lays hands on him, and he's healed. He's baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I'm sure in the process of those moments, though not spoken here, he gets saved in a confession with the Lord. And likely he had already been doing some of that in his own heart. Because remember, the scripture said, God spoke to Ananias and said, this guy over here, he's been praying to me. He's praying right now. I don't think he's praying and saying, now I lay me down to sleep, okay, type of prayer. I think it's a gut-wrenching reality that, that has sunk into him that he's been faced with Almighty God, and he fell short of his life. And he's dealing with it. 
But as Ananias comes in, he begins to minister to him. The scales come off. He's healed. He's baptized then in water. <laughs> Fascinating to me. But he's bat all this occurs here. He filled the Holy Spirit. He's healed. He's baptized in water. And then it's like, oh, yeah, let me get some to eat. <laughs> you know, and he regains his strength. And the scriptures goes on, as, as you've perhaps read already. He goes and he starts ministering immediately in the community, in the, in the synagogue. Wow. What would you do if you were in that synagogue when Paul walk, Saul walks in? Whoa, wait a bit. Hide, you know, just. Until he starts opening his mouth and he starts sharing and saying, and fascinating to me, how God can take a man that is well-educated in what we call the Old Testament. He really is. And all of a sudden, he puts it together for him. And now he's standing up in front of these people and says, Thus saith the Lord, God's word says this, and the prophets talked about this, and this is who Jesus was, and who he can be into your life, and all those things. And all of a sudden, just starts pouring out of him. Do you think it might have been help of the Holy Spirit too? I think so. I really do. The Holy Spirit came upon him and enabled him to do what he had never done before. And finally, the changes from obedience. Verse 17, 18, and 19. I've mentioned them mostly there, so let me just recount them quickly to you. First, that God enabled Ananias to find Saul. That's because of obedience. God said, go, he went, and he found. Who do we need to find in our lives? Number two is Ananias laid his hands on Saul. Remember again, his preconceived ideas about Saul. This guy murders people. He gets rid of people. He's sent here to destroy the church. Now he's coming along to lay hands on this guy. Really? Number three is Paul's saved. He's baptized with the Holy Spirit. Number four is the scales fall off of his eyes. Number five, he could see. And it was more than, I believe, only physical sight. There was an understanding that God gave him at the same time that he was able to see into his... Uh, learning his understanding the scriptures and it made sense to him and God brought it all together he was baptized in water he broke his fast he was strengthened but and forgive me this is where my mind goes with things okay but I came up with a last one and that was what happened to Ananias it's like he disappears we don't have another thing said about him the rest of it's about Saul, and then later turning his name to Paul, and then Peter and some of the other ones, and they go on, and we never hear a thing again about Ananias other than, like I said, in Paul's testimony in chapter 22. Did he play a large part in the kingdom of God? Was it a small part? Or was it simply a part of learning how to obey God when he says go? See, that's, that's all God's looking for you and me. Will you go? 
Will you go and do what I want you to do? Will you trust me that I will go ahead of you and prepare the way for you? It's not just all on you to make it work or make it happen. I got this too. I'm in this with you. And to realize that God is going to prepare that way. And he's going to see what he can do in our lives. Well, let me wrap it up here with us. How do you and I respond when God speaks to us to do something in his name? How do we respond to that? Let me submit to you that for some of you, maybe in this room right now, maybe online, maybe out in the courtyard, God's been speaking to you and says something like, maybe, go over and make sure you say hi to that person today. Go up to that person and offer, ask them if they might need prayer about something. Go up to, and God may even be depositing something within you of a scripture. Maybe even a prophetic word or something else that the Lord may give you to share and minister to you. What will you do with that? Or God may even speak to you and, and say, let's use modern technology. Why didn't you text this person? Email them. Phone call them. And get ready for this now. Some of you, this is going to rock your boat. Okay, it's going to be a tough thing. Get a card and send it to them. I was listening to a thing the other day. They were saying that for those under 25 years old, only 15% of them have ever sent a card to anyone. Not being critical, just it was just an interesting thing to me, just not part of their life, this juncture. But sending, how about praying for somebody? You know, when somebody walks up to you and they're sharing and they're pouring out their gut to you and all their problems, their difficulties, saying, well, yes, amen, I'll be praying for you. Don't do that. I mean that sincerely. I'm not trying to be cute or smart. Don't do that. Take the moment and pause and maybe take their hand if appropriate or whatever, but pray for them right there. That way you don't have to deal with Wednesday thinking back and realize, oh, shoot, I said I'd pray for that person and their procedure was yesterday and I missed it. Pray with them right then. By the way, is that okay to do in Walmart? Okay. That was a rousing amen, but anyway, that's okay. <laughs> Talking to the stranger or to the neighbor, what about our neighbor? What's going on with your neighbors? You don't have to tell me all of them right now. Or maybe the server in the restaurant or the eating place where you go to. Maybe even your family. Could God impress in your heart, I want you to write your family member this. 
Maybe he gives us a scripture, maybe a thought. Maybe simply, I'm praying for you, I'm thinking about you, love you very much. And you may even have an estranged relationship with that family member. But if you trust God in his ability that he impresses it on your heart to do it, won't he go ahead of you and prepare the way on the other end in that person's heart to receive what you may share with them? See, all of this comes back to that trust in God. Can we trust him or not? Can we believe him or not? And we make those decisions on a regular basis. Lord, we bow before you today, grateful for this beautiful story of a man that both struggled and yet obeyed. And another man that, God, you took great lengths to ensure that his life was turned around so that he could accomplish your will and purpose and plan. Thus affecting every single one of us sitting here today. And these things we call a Bible, where we have 13, likely 12 or 13 of his books written in them, sharing with us what you downloaded into him with us in today and applying it for today. Wow. Lord, what could it be of what you may do in the lives and hearts of people that you simply want us to touch? That you want us to reach out to and see the power of God make a difference in them. Lord, we want to make ourselves available to you. And may I just invite you without anything else at the moment, but just take your hands and put them out in front of you just comfortably. Let them represent your life right now. Lord, we take these hands and let them signify us in totality. And we present us to you. Lord, let your will be done through us. We may not always feel competent. We may not always see, feel ready. But Lord, we offer ourselves to you. You can work through us, Lord. Let your will be done through us, Lord. Let your kingdom come through us, Lord. Lord, let your anointing and refreshing and your words, wisdom and guidance and direction, even your scriptures, Lord, let them come to us and we will be willing to do as Ananias to go and be obedient to do what you call us to do. Wherever that is, whatever that means. Even when we're scared, even when we're nervous, even when everything within us is, is wanting to cry out and say, no, don't do that. God, we desire to be people that learn how to listen to you but obey at the same time and follow through with what you say to do. So we present ourselves to you, Lord, today with humility and, Lord, with just a total loss of who we are compared to who you are. But you choose to use us. You choose to work through us. Like Saul, we're chosen instruments to carry your message to the people around us. And Lord, we simply say today, we are willing. We are willing. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let the prayer team come on if you would. I just want to say thank you for being open. Get ready, because when you pray a prayer like that, and you mean that out of your heart, God's going to do it. He is. Now, I don't have to be a prophet to tell you that. God will do that through you. The key thing, and let me underscore it one more time, do not discount what God wants to do through you. Because you look at yourself and say, yeah, but, 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 but. He knows your butts. Okay? He already knows. He knows every reason why you should be disqualified. He knows it all. And yet, he's putting his hand on you and says, you know, excuse me, Susie, I'm going to just do this. I'm putting my hand upon you and anointing you to do what I've called you to do. He's okay with it. God is okay with it. And if he's okay, we need to ask him, Lord, help me learn to become okay with it too. So that I walk in obedience and faithfulness to do what you call me to do. Amen? Well, God has a soul for us to reach out to. Who will your soul be? Maybe they're in this room. Maybe they're somewhere else. Maybe they're your family, your neighborhood, any number of places. But his purpose is always going to be to bring God's love, his forgiveness, and his grace. The thing to say to you now is, get ready, because it's going to happen for you and to you. People are here that if you need prayer today, this may be for some of you your first step to step into Lord, I need your guidance and your direction. Invite these people to pray with you. There's, that's what they're here to do. Maybe you're here today as well, and you have not really started a relationship with Jesus Christ. Any one of these people would be happy just to take the moment to say, I'd love to pray with you. We're not great people. We're not people that are over the top. We're not grand, grandiose whatevers. We're just simple people that love Jesus. And Jesus one day came to each of us and said, Hey, Gary, will you open up the door for me and all? And I did. And I said yes to the Lord. And God's been there. That's what we did. And God changed my life. And he's still changing my life. So let me close by saying this. God bless you in every way. And then I'd like to invite you to do two things this week. Number one, join us in continuing to read our 260 in the book of Acts. Okay? Number two is I'd like to invite you to join us to pray on Wednesday night at 6 p.m. in this room where we call on God together. And we are going to see great and mighty things that God's going to do because that's who he is. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with us? God bless you, go with you, and grace you with his peace each and every day in Jesus' name. God bless you. Thank you.